the last panel of the June-July 1978 cover dated Super Friends number 12, a trouble alert sounded. I, Dr. Mist, will tell you what it was, for only you can save the world from it. Who are you? You may call me Dr. Mist. My real name is long forgotten. Let it remain so. The important thing is why I have called you, to stop a menace which threatens to cause much destruction and death. The mindless immortal. A story by E. Nelson Bridwell, Ramona Fraden, and Bob Smith. The scene is the Hall of Justice. A stranger has just made a call on the trouble alert. Mind explaining that, Dr. Mist? Not at all, Princess. I refer to the creature which smashed the bunkers in which Thomas in Thomas and Daniel were imprisoned. The story of these two, alias TNT and Dan the Dynamite, were recounted in the last issue. Suddenly a new scene flashed on the screen, involving a giant-sized mole. Behold the beast as it was, a heretofore unknown variety, found only in the earth, one I believe to be the last of its species. And it was harmless, until it ventured by chance into the very womb of the earth, a cavern where few humans have set foot. Then there flamed in the chamber the very spirit of life itself, a rolling pillar of multicolored flame. Behold, the fiery whirlwind rolled over the creature, suffusing it with life it bore, endowing it with immortality and unimaginable power. No longer sluggish, the beast could move through the ground at fantastic speed. For its new powers, working on blind instinct, smashed even the hardest stone in its path. And that explains how it demolished those bunkers with its ten-foot-thick concrete walls. Yes, Batman. And moving at that speed, it can in time work great harm to the entire world. It could undermine whole cities, drill through major earth faults, and trigger widespread quakes. Yet it is not malicious. It is virtually mindless. Still, operating solely on instinct, it could wreck the globe. Hold on, mister. Where did you photograph that? You have movies that'd cop an Oscar for special effects. Nay, Robin. I use no cameras, for I need none. What I show you, I show. The mind has powers which you have never imagined. But hearken, the creature is still located in your own southwest. It has lain dormant for days. Now it stirs once more. You must stop it. Perhaps you don't mind telling us how to stop this immortal, incredibly powerful beast. That is for you to decide, but I have calculated that it will move toward the east, surfacing at three points. Death Valley, the Grand Canyon, and Carlsbad Caverns. Here is where you must bring the creature, my home within this rock on the east side of Africa. Near a verdant forest were two large cliffs, and on the face of one of those great gray craggy rocks was an actual face, a face not unlike Dr. Mist's, but scouring with hatred and anger. Regardless of their concerns about Dr. Mist, the Super Friends set out to stop this giant immortal mole creature. In Death Valley, it got past one Woman and Robin, the boy wonder. At the Grand Canyon, it gave the slip to Superman and Aquaman. It was ultimately up to Batman, Zan, and Jaina at Carlsbad Caverns to think their way around the giant mole and put it on ice. So a short time later, two amazing aircraft set down on the promontory near the Great Stone Head, Dr. Mist's mountain home in Africa. And soon they came around the mountain to meet the living model for the mighty monument. Nice going, Dr. Mist. You had it figured perfectly. But your task is not done, Superman. You must take the creature to the place of life. A second bath in the flame will undo the effect of the first. Minimize up the river stands a ruined city in the crater of a dead volcano. I see it. Deep in the mountain beneath it is a place of life. The only passage to it from the surface was sealed nearly a hundred years ago. My x-ray vision has found it. Let's go. Soon, the Man of Tomorrow rapidly drills into the ground, far below the hollow mountain. I think you've even outdone the mole creature at burrowing, Superman. We're almost there. And here we are. Now what? Wait for that fiery whirlwind, or whatever it is. There it is, folks. Man, what a... Uh, look at that. Suddenly, I don't feel like making a joke. The collected super friends, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Robin, Zan, and Jaina, were halted by the sight of the maelstrom of 
of color and the possible futures it presented should any one of them walk into its kaleidoscopic tornado. The spinning flame has a weird fascination to continue my fight against crime for centuries, millennia, till I wipe it all out. To be immortal, never grow old or die. Imagine, immunity to all harm, even kryptonite. Never to worry about being away from water too long. I already have eternal youth, but to be invulnerable as well. To live forever? The flame seems to call to me. Suddenly an image appeared within the flame of life. Dr. Miss Face, and that expression. As though he had seen much sorrow, more than that of a single life. Much more. I guess we all won't be going in. Only one of us. This one. Superman picked up the mole creature and threw it into the flame of life. I'm glad it wasn't hurt. No, it will live out its normal lifespan now. And with its death, the species will die too, apparently. The flame can only work on it once. Shortly, back to the stone head. That giant sculpture. It's you, isn't it? It is. How long ago was it carved? 5,000 years? 10? Approximately 11,000. I'd hardly recognize the expression, though. That scowl. My power was new thing. I ruled the greatest empire of its day. One of the greatest the world has ever known. I wanted to inspire fear in my enemies. To impress them with the fact that I was one to look upon with awe. So I had that head coughed. And it was you who projected your face on the flame. Yes, Superman. Have I not dwelt here in exile for almost 90 centuries? Because I know the dangers of the vast power I wield. I pray I will always keep it in control. In a flash of light, Dr. Mist disappeared back into his mountain home. Gone! But if he feels so about his power, why not just go into the fire again and rid himself of his immortality and everything else? Maybe even he is afraid of dying. Perhaps. But I wouldn't be too sure, Dick. Sometimes it takes more courage to go on living. Hello, everyone. My name is Pat, and I'm the host of a new podcast called The Longbox Crusade. A while back, my wife said to me, Why do you keep buying more comics? I bet you have not even read all the comics you have already. Well, she's right, but let's keep that between you and me. So I took her up on the challenge to read them all. I decided to read my collection of comic books in chronological order by the issue's cover dates. I wanted to relive their adventures and bring back the memories I had of my childhood in the late 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. My collection has been stashed away in over 20-plus long boxes in the basement. I'll leave it up to your imagination as to why I cannot have them on display upstairs. But that's a different story. The Longbox Crusade podcast will be of recaps and reviews of the issues in my collection in a fun and friendly way. You can find the podcast at longboxcrusade.com. I hope you will join me on this crusade to read them all. Dr. Mist next appeared in the June 1981 cover dated Super Friends number 45, where it was revealed that Dr. Mist was the founder and first king of a great empire now forgotten, Imperial Corps. This was the first instance of Dr. Mist gathering an international team of heroes to battle a threat even the Super Friends couldn't defeat on their own, in this case, the Conqueror. In an uncommon instance of a Super Friends story carrying on for two issues, the Conqueror's ultimate gamut was revealed to be attacking Dr. Mist himself. The Conqueror determined that the greatest concentration of sheer power on Earth resided within Dr. Mist, and he planned to steal away from the being. The Super Friends and international heroes were unable to stop him in this instance. So ultimately, it was Dr. Mist himself who defeated this menace, proving again his extraordinary might. Dr. Mist was introduced into the core DC continuity in the June 1982 cover dated DC Comics Presents number 46, which reestablished his relationship with Superman and reiterated much of the story that we knew about him so far. In this story, it was revealed that one of Dr. Mist's enemies was around for the sinking of Atlantis, but Mist specifies that that was a bit before his time. It was only centuries later when Mist 
reigned in Kor, that he battled and ultimately defeated the sorcerer Thalmar. However, in modern times, Thalmar returned, and with his ability to see a short distance into the future, Dr. Mist determined that he needed Superman and the international heroes to stop this menace. It was in this story that those international heroes were given a formal name, the Global Guardians, and his name was bestowed because Dr. Mist intended to continue to use this group for future adventures. However, the Global Guardians only made a scant few appearances within the post-crisis sphere of DC continuity before the group was disbanded in order to make way for the Just League International. Hello, podcast listener. My name is Russell Bragg, and I host a podcast called The DC Comics Presents Show. Every episode, I talk about the DC Comics Presents comic, starring Superman. I will be detailing all 97 issues, plus the four annuals. I will be spotlighting the DC character that Superman teams up with, plus I will be looking at the comic spinner rack to see what other comic books were on sale. So join me, Russell Bragg, for each exciting episode of the DC Comics Presents Show. Please go to the show's website at www.dccpshow.com for more information. That's DCCPSHOW. Dr. Mist's next major appearance as a soloist was in the June 1988 cover-dated Secret Origins number 27, though you wouldn't know it from the cover on which he did not appear. Instead, he was shoehorned into a double origin story for Giuseppe and Zatanna Zatara. The sorceress Zatanna had found herself in a plot initiated by Felix Faust, a noted mage who had battled the Just League of America in their earlier adventures. Faust had captured Dr. Mist and bound him to a pole. He told Zatanna that Dr. Mist's name was Nomo. You'll forgive him if he doesn't bow. Faust cast a spell that projected Zatanna into the mind of Nomo, a man who is lived 7,000 years. I think it's always best to hear a story firsthand. <laughs> it all began in the year 5,000 BC. It was an age of triumph, of trumpeting fanfare. My name is Dr. Mist, although I was then known as Nomo, wizard king of the mighty African empire of Kor. My source of power and that of my entire kingdom was a burning enigma that we called the flame of life. Its song solved our problems, cured our illnesses, and answered all of our questions. It was our living God, and I was his chosen disciple. And yet, despite all our happiness and prosperity, I feared that one day something would come along to spoil it all. One day, something did. Nomo was literally stabbed in the back by Felix Faust, who wished to become the new disciple of the Flame of Life. Flame, come to me. This time, I ask for your full power. Give me the means to revenge myself against my enemy. He must pay for his crime. Give me the power to punish him. Make me supreme! You? It can't be. You're dead. Not for nothing is it called the Flame of Life, Faust. In which case, I am all the more interested in it, and in seeing you destroyed. The cacophony raged for more than a week. I hit him. He hit me. We hit each other. And everything else they got in the way. At last I found a way to defeat him by turning my entire kingdom into a weapon and throwing it away. Faust was banished to another dimension. It was only afterwards that I realized what I had done. My punishment was immortality. By 2000 BC I could stand it no longer. I was a prisoner of my own longevity. The music was funereal. My existence continued. My wives grew old and died. I outlived my children and my grandchildren. For me, the world lost all meaning. Being almost invulnerable, I wasn't able to kill myself. What then was I to do? At last, I found the answer. There had always existed, side by side, two species of man on the planet Earth. Homo magi, Homo sapiens. I was the first of the species, but I had always limited myself to the company of the second. Just as Homo sapiens was limited compared with Homo magi, if only I could somehow evolve my people to the stage of a development that I had unwittingly achieved, then I could find companionship. I set to work immediately. First, I used the power of 
the flame of life to create a number of magical jewels, the stones of life. These gems will become the catalysts of change. Then I give the stones to a group of disciples I handpicked and trained from among their ranks of Homa Magi. I was careful not to become too attached to this initial group. I knew that none of them would live more than three or four centuries at most. I waited and watched as the stones passed from hand to hand, every stop along the way bringing me closer to my goal. It wasn't just companionship anymore. I had once been part of a perfect society. I wanted that back again. So when the time seemed right, I gathered together most of my new charges and led them to the site of a hidden city in northern Turkey. They were the Homo Magi and I welcomed them home. The others were my most special cases and further the progress of Homo Sapiens. Marco Polo journeyed to the Orient and returned with a book filled with arcane knowledge. Inspired by Polo's memoirs, Christopher Columbus discovered the new world. Vasco da Gama, another Polo devotee, found a sea route to India. Joseph Balsamo, the alchemist and Freemason known as Cagliostro, played a crucial role in the downfall of the French monarchy. Balsamo was a direct descendant of my most famous disciple, the man who translated Polo's Book of Spellers into his own backward reading language, Leonardo da Vinci. Balsamo also played a vital role in the American Revolution, advising Jefferson, Thomas Paine, and Benjamin Franklin. And finally, I was content. The Homo sapiens nearly equaled with the Homo magi, balance, harmony, because I had recreated the world in my image, or should I say my self-image. World War I came in and completed the picture. Where had I gone wrong? I was relieving my battle with Faust. What I could not know was that Faust had returned from the mystical realm I flung him into. He was called back by a madman and by a piece of music. The madman was the Rash. The music, Wagner's March of the Valkyries. Physically and emotionally start from his long exile, Felix Faust devoured them both. This left me to ponder the course I should take in reaction to these new developments. I could now plainly see that the regression Faust had triggered in me was common in all men, sapiens and magi alike. I decided that this violence had to be countered before it swept away all of my accomplishments. If the world was full of villains, there seemed only one solution, so I did the obvious. I created heroes, directly or indirectly. Dr. Occult, Sogon the Sorcerer, and most promising of all, the descendant of Leonardo da Vinci and Cagliostro who, in the end, was best known by his stage name, your father Zatanna. Zatara, master of magic. Documents was said to have led Zatara in the ways of magic, to learning true sorcery, and of helping to guide the way out of the World War II era into the age of peace that followed. I was at an impasse. I couldn't think of what else to do, so I composed more superheroes, called them the Global Guardians. Then I entered politics. After Congress's red-baiting forced the Justice Society to disband in early 1951, I replaced them with my new group, permanently stationed in the headquarters known as the Dome. And so came the precursors to the Global Guardians and the Guardians themselves, followed by the formation of the Justice League of America, who at one point brought in Zatanna to join their ranks. Zatanna was apparently the end product of Dr. Miss's centuries of sculpting, history, and the lives of magic users. Apparently, not only had Dr. Miss been shaping humanity to be more to his liking, but he had also been trying to craft his own perfect mate, who appeared to be Zatanna. Which leads us back to the present, where Felix Faust has trapped Zatanna and Dr. Mist in hope of gaining access to the location of the Flame of Life. Our friend knows where it's kept, but his mind is impregnable to enemies, of which I am considered number one. But you were afforded access. You know all that he knows. And your skull's not such a hard nut to crack. Zatanna and Faust engage in mystical combat, wherein the Princess of Prestigitation found herself barely warding off two boulders. Faust, leave her alone. This is between you and me. Fine. Just tell me where the flame is and I'll stop. 
You know that I can't do that. The flame or the girl, Doctor. That's your choice. The flame or the girl. He can't give up the flame, Faust, because it doesn't exist anymore. He's consumed the flame, abused its power, and gone mad as a result. She's right. All of my wild claims were illusions. I am no omnipotent sorcerer. All that I gained from the flame of life, immortality, but no true power. You wouldn't step forth. I was afraid to. I was not worthy of Zatanna's companionship. I am but a simple tomb. She is a symphony. Zatanna briefly appeared to be crushed between the two boulders. Was. Is. In a show of power, Zatanna emerged from the rubble, garbed in a new and short-lived outfit. Zatanna has shown me the way, Faust. I was a fool not to realize sooner that the conductor also plays a valuable role in the performance of music. You seek the flame of life, but its music will always be too delicate for your ears to hear. You are forever denied this song. Through Zatanna's power, Felix Faust appeared to be banished, though he threatened that he would return, and the flame of life would ultimately be his. A Symphony of Shadows, The Secret Origins of Zatara and Zatanna, was plotted by Eric Weiss, penciled by Tom Artis, dialogued by Robert Warren Fleming, inked by P. Craig Russell, and edited by Mark Waite. Hi, I'm Kyle Benning, and I love comics. In fact, I love them so much that I ramble on about them on a number of podcasts, all on one feed, found under the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun banner. I talk about comics with extra page counts, like Treasury Comics, Prestige Format Books, DC's Dollar Comics, Marvel's Giant Size Specials and King Size Daniels, and much, much more. I also love to talk about DC's Christ on Multiple Earth crossovers, free comics from Special Promos, Free Comic Book Day, Star Wars, My Life as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, random comic book back issues, and many other elements of geek culture that happen to strike my fancy. There's new content usually dropping at least once a week, and it's all found on one feed. You can subscribe via iTunes. Just search for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun in the iTunes Store or podcast app on your iPhone. Otherwise, you can follow the podcast at the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun blog headquarters, available at www.kingsizecomicsgiantsizefun.blogspot.com. That's all one word, kingsizecomicsgiantsizefun.blogspot.com. Or follow on Facebook by simply searching for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun. So for snappy review and discussions on comics, new and old, usually done from the front seat of my car or my lunch break at work, check out King Size Comics Giant Size Fun. I've never read any H. Ryder Haggard and only know his work through terrible adaptations like the Richard Chamberlain, Alan Quarterlane movies. In advance of rereading this issue of Secret Origins, I jumped down a wiki hole of the she-books, never realizing the massive impact of Aisha on fantasy literature. None of this has anything significant to do with Dr. Mist, though. Since illusions aside, he's a comic book character rather than a literary one. According to his Wikipedia entry, Dr. Mist was created by E. Nelson Bridwell and Ramona Fraden, and was based on both the Guardian of the Gate and the character of King Newt, introduced in Chapter 18 of Wisdom's Daughter by H. Ryder Haggard. Although I'm pretty sure that that they didn't have superpowered sorcerers running around in those novels of the late 19th century. And while I was just an offhand comment in an issue of Super Friends, I'd always heard about Dr. Mist's reputation of being one of the most powerful beings in the DC Universe. It always stuck in my head that he should be a premier super being if there was any truth to that at all. I like his look and his status as Africa's mystical protector. Plus, I absolutely adore the concept of the Global Guardians. If not their execution, or executions, since these guys seem to die if you sneeze in their general direction, a common malady of international super teams. 
Dr. Mist's secret origins appearance seemed to have marked the ruination of the character, but I've still read him in odd places like Primal Force and Rooted for Reclamation. Hey, maybe Nomo just plain isn't the real Dr. Mist, and we can chuck this whole thing as a fraud. When a story opens with Dr. Mist barely dressed in tribal wear, bound like an extra in roots, my initial impression is this is screwed, and I want to kick the butt of any responsible parties. I like Bob Fleming when he's providing dialogue over Keith Giffen plots, especially on fourth wall breaking extra canonical comedy, but he never sits well with me solo, especially his execrable later issues of Eclipso. Combined with Roy Thomas's well-documented predilections, I hate this origin story with a passion. Once again, the dark-skinned hero is given dark motivations that would be considered beneath his Caucasian contemporaries. Nomo is initially taken out like a punk without putting up a fight, and Thirsty Revenge claims all the power of the flame of life for himself while literally destroying an entire advanced civilization for his selfish pursuit. So much anger in my heart right now. Further, what the hell is Felix Faust doing here? Here's an idea. Let's have a prehistorically correct non-white adversary who's supposedly unknown to Zatanna created a Vex Optimist across the millennia instead of a well-known modern-day JLA foil previously documented to have taken his name from a 16th century legend, plus Felix originating in the period of the Roman Empire besides. Among a readership made up largely of European descendants, the easiest explanation for why fanboys never heard much about Dr. Mist is simply that he did his thing in Africa. But no, he's got to be an integrationist who traveled all over the world creating a rainbow coalition of magic users that was lost to history because it was all part of a self-centered mysticalmatch.com profile while he waited for winks and seclusion. Cue my aneurysm. It's so frustrating that Tom Artis and P. Craig Russell render Dr. Mist so well, and that as much as I loathe what's done to him in The Secret Origin Story and what's not done, like editorial back mattering covering his publishing history like I just did, it's not like it was that long. But anyway, at least the nice artist in service to elevating a worthy heroine with a genuine pedigree in comics. I don't know if this is where the idea of the dome replacing the JSA as Earth Defenders until the modern age of heroes began, but I'm all over that idea like white on, um, anyway. That's the sort of thing that makes Dr. Mist matter to continuity. So again, let's just have Nomo relate the well-documented good deeds of an actual hero who he is not, shall we? Dr. Mist has a decent-looking costume, a cool power set, very mysterious dude, lots of story potential. Up until losing his powers in the Secret Origin story, Dr. Mist was the most powerful being of African descent documented in DC Comics. He's the founder of the Global Guardians, which probably didn't mean much to somebody in 1988, given that it had only begun to be introduced about a decade earlier. But to me, I grew up with these guys being the world's heroes, representing the rest of the world the way that the Justice League represented America. I really wish that the Global Guardians were given more respect, and by extension, the Dr. Mist was. The character has been seen in more recent comics and been shown to have a power level at least equal to, I don't know, Brother Voodoo? And my hope is that someday, given the proper chance, Dr. Mist will be allowed to be an admirable, recognizable, formidable representative of African heroes in comics. Is Dr. Mist an especially compelling character with a catalog of beloved stories? No. Is he an exceptionally powerful black superhero unburdened with the legacy of a white forebearer and embedded for decades in a major comic book universe in desperate need of diversity? Why, yes he is. That's my primary point of interest. Hello listeners, I am Dr. G, the man of nerdology. I am the host of the Secret Sagas of the Multiverse, part of the Pulp to Pixel Podcasts. Secret Sagas of the Multiverse is a review and discussion show where I and my rogues gallery of co-hosts take on topics related to comic books, superheroes, genre fiction, movies, television, and much more. We look at comics and comic characters across the many different media out there 
From original print source material to the recent renaissance of television, movies, and digital media. If you love geek culture as much as we do, then tune in to our semi-weekly podcast series. Episodes of this and other Pulp to Pixel podcasts can be found at pulptopixel.blogspot.com, the Pulp to Pixel podcast Facebook page, through iTunes, or through Stitcher under the Pulp to Pixel podcasts. Right out of a comic book. The Pulp to Pixel Podcasts, exploring the media multiverse of geek culture. He meddled in things enjoyed the undercurrent music in this week's episode please legally download stay forever by prince nico mubarga magic stones by peter winter maze by taboule and voodoo child by angelique kijo we received direct currents across social media from the 108 sage Ange, bad at chaparak between the pages bill bear cash flag akal chris sheehan coffee and comics blog comic reflections the comic vlogs comics in the golden age darren and Ruth soland ed moore and indie comics fan marvel bronze age miskatonic Teal productions inigo montoya fire and water network fka jason frank de piazza gaston pujol lynn walker jeffrey brown joe crawford who also helped promote a new bloodlines podcast justice's first dawn keith G. Baker, King Size Comics Giant Science Pun Podcast, Longbox Crusade Podcast, Eric Mannix at Emerald City Comic Con PZ2, Matches Baloney, Michael Wagner, Nethead, Raven X Fields, Reggie Reggie, Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast, Richard Field, Siskoid, Stella at Bad Girl to Oracle, Style Icon who remarked of an episode I suppose stunning, Terrence Castangue, Tom Panarese, Transform and Rollout, Trekker Talk, Unearthly Visions, Valhalla 130, Waiting for Doom Podcast, Warlord Worlds Podcast, Wiccan, Wild Dog Podcast, which is behind one. I can't find my issue number four. Willie Arbrough and Xenozoic Xenophiles Podcast. We also specifically received Facebook notices from Keith G. Baker, Joe Crawford, Darren Rusoland, Michael Wagner, and Michael Siskoid Albert. Xenozoic Xenophiles promoted the Green Lantern episode, letting everyone know that the latest DC Bloodlines podcast comes with a series of opening warnings. You have been forewarned. Count Druncula heard about Beware My Power and noted, so warned. Listen to this episode tonight on my international flight. I'll be very interested to compare thoughts on Jon Stewart. As I discuss the character in his second appearance in Just League of America number 110 on the next Power at Fishnets episode due out on Friday, December the 23rd. And unfortunately, Count Drunkula and I both showed up at the prom in the same dress. We both covered that same issue, but he took a broader view of it, looking at the entire team and the comic as a whole, where ours was much more John Stewart-centric, so hopefully nobody be noticed too much. Matches Bloney wrote, I'm definitely going to have to listen to this. The Lantern cast wrote, Damn it, Frank finally covered Green Lantern. That's it, boys. Let's pack it in. All relevant GL facts have likely been covered in this episode. I wonder if he heard it and I wonder how he felt about how I felt about Hal Jordan specifically. Stella wrote, oh no, not him, not Guy. And, you know, Guy gets hit by a bus pretty early in the episode, so. If you don't like Guy, well, Joe Crawford wrote of the Nightblade episode, I think you handled an awkward situation with aplomb. Great episode, which I am glad I listened to and did not delete. Definitely found myself rooting for Nightblade, if not Hal. Darren Sutherland wrote, while listening to almost every episode of Bloodlines, I'm convinced you're making it all up. Surely these weren't real comics. In either case, I can't thank you enough for the 
show. Every episode makes me laugh because your summaries and commentaries. Diablo Frank says to delete this episode without even listening. No, Frank. Talking controversies is always entertaining. Count Drunkula wrote, good episode, unfortunately timed. I wasn't sure what you meant by how cradled her vulva with his face until I checked out the scans of the issue and looked at the page. I'm not sure that what's going on in that panel is physically possible without her abdomen collapsing in on itself like a black hole. And in case you missed the episode, the uh, Nightblade episode also covered a uh, Green Lantern Hal Jordan annual, and it had a ton of problems with it. So many problems with it that I did not include background music, advertisements. I did not tag anybody into the episode when I put it out on the Twitters because I didn't want anybody being tainted by it. I recorded that episode back in December, and because Nightblade is an ambiguously Asian character, I decided I was going to just put a subtle Asian accent on my vocal stylings. And after I got done recording the episode in December, I realized I'd gone full yellow face. I'm a white guy and a liberal, so I'm just asking to be tarred and feathered. But I finally decided to sit down and uh, try to minimize the damage I had done with a re-recording of most of Nightblade's dialogue. Still problematic coming from a dude like me, but I was hoping for the best. And then that Saturday morning, Illegal Machine tweeted me about the writer of that particular comic facing particularly grotesque criminal charges, not to mention both himself and his legal counsel making very guilty sounding statements. This is a writer I had a high regard for. I quoted him extensively on the Green Lantern episode. And so on top of my own personal shame, I had to add thinking about his shame as I worked on that episode throughout an entire weekend. Definitely a dark night of the podcasting soul. But despite my imploring people to just delete the episode, just don't even bother with it. A lot of people do listen to it. A lot of people promoted it. And the truth is when I listen to the episode, as many issues as there are there, I think it's a very fun episode. I think my enthusiasm from the material really shines through. I have to admit that on listening to the episode, I did have a smile on my face. I think I enjoy listening to that episode more than most any of the other Bloodlines ones I've produced. So it's a shame that it's just irrevocably tainted. And uh, just a forewarning, I'm currently planning about three more episodes in this season of Bloodlines before taking a deserved hiatus. Uh, at least two of those episodes will feature Asian characters, and at least one of the episodes will be written by the aforementioned writer. So pray for me, why don't you? Anyway, moving on to the Green Fury episode. Count Drunkula wrote, Fun audio drama. Justice First Dawn noted, Globally guarding before it was even cool. At rolled spine, they rule. Keith G. Baker wrote, This can't be a coincidence, right? You fellas planned this. And it just so happened that the day that the Green Flame episode came out, it was announced that the same character, better known as Fire of the Just League International, would be appearing on the NBC sitcom Powerless. I offered Keith a smart-ass reply, but it was total serendipity that those two events happened on the same day. That was another fun episode to listen to. An absolute bear to produce. I thought that just having two people providing voices wouldn't make an audio drama feel like slow torture to produce. Forgetting how long it takes to find sound effects and audio files and do all that pitch shifting and then take various recordings and put them together in the right sequences. And I got to remember that the next time I try to do one of those audio dramas. I think the last time I did one was like eight minutes worth of the Captain America origin story in the Marvel Superheroes podcast episode 50. And this episode was like three times as long. Uh, finally, though, here's my reward. Joe Crawford letting me know that the episode was a hoot and a holler. Pour a bowl of sugary cereal for this one, folks. This program is a not-for-profit fan production. Any copyrighted materials within are believed covered under fair use, with no infringement intended against the rights holder. You may leave your comments on the DC Bloodlines blog, the Rolled Spine podcast WordPress page, at Twitter with either Commander Blanks or Rolled Spine, or on the Facebook page. And of course, within the context of social media only, spill the blood!